We've been in 2 Corinthians, but before you turn there, even if your bulletin says so, we're doing something different today, and actually for the full month of December. Uh, Thanksgiving is this week, so we're, we're talking about Thanksgiving, and then we're going to head into Advent. So we'll pick up with 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with the beginning of the new year, and that's okay. That's a separate section of Corinthians, but I wanted to talk, and it was on my heart all week, to talk about Thanksgiving. I know uh, it's this week, and maybe you get to have a plate of turkey, maybe ham with mashed potatoes, and the, 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 maybe even the red stuff with little bits in it that's terrible. Maybe, the, so you can tell I really give thanks for that, right? Sorry, Mom. She watches this. <laughs> oh, no. But even, even more, right? Maybe you love the cranberry jello and don't like the turkey. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't get a Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe you don't have family. You say, well, Thanksgiving. Maybe you um, have some, some different opinions about what Thanksgiving actually is, because now it's like, well, what do you mean Thanksgiving? And we're kind of remembering how our nation and that initial, the pilgrims with, you know, the square black hats and the, the black outfits, and they're, 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 they're sharing the bounty of harvest in the new land, exploiting the natives. Why is that Thanksgiving. What actually happened? So you start questioning, and we start having some, even what is Thanksgiving? What is it we're thankful for? I don't think that's a terrible question in some senses because, uh, because as a Christian, I'm trying to give thanks all around. Thankful all the time. I mean... I say grace over meals, thanking God for providing for me. But, but, but maybe we need a reboot. Maybe it might be helpful for your life. And even as you think about what's around you, as you think about what you're giving thanks for and what you actually have a heart to say, yes, I'm so thankful and this is what it is. And this is in my circumstance. Am I, am I required to give thanks that I lost my dad a couple years ago? I miss him. Or hearing people that I know and love, they have cancer? Well, I'm going to find the silver lining. Give th- Surely God will teach me something good out of that, and I'll give thanks for this horrible thing. Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what this kind of Christian life is about, is finding the silver linings, or just sort of saying that you, I mean... I mean, I, I think, well, I think of verses like Romans 8 where it says God makes all things work together for good. And you know what I do? I stick a little my in there for my good so that I can try and say, you know, every single thing that ever happens to me is good. I have to give thanks. But what if it's not good for me? Does God even do that kind of thing? That's what I'm headed towards Today, when my heart is really engaged, I often thanks God, thank God for things. I don't know if you do too. I, I do, especially with things that I'm so happy that he gave me. Like, for example, if I had this, let me give it a fun. Oh, look at this puppy. Ah, what a gorgeous, because I like hamburgers. I praise God for giving me a hamburger. Of course, I'm going to skip over the fact that it's called the heart stopper. <clears throat> you can get it at the heart attack grill. <laughs> I mean, quite literally. <laughs> 
But maybe, maybe my Thanksgiving, I love this. Maybe you're like, Dax, I, I, you know what you really should thank God for is if you just have a small portion of Brussels sprouts. Because that would be best for your life. And you should thank God for something you don't really love, you know, but, but, but Thanksgiving, you know. And then you don't even like burgers, maybe. You'd rather have the... So we get in these places where how do we thank God and, and, and what should we, even in things that we, we're thanking him for what he gives me, but maybe what he, I think he's given me is not really what he's given me, and it just gets very confusing very fast. So these statements then in the Bible about thanking him for everything, does it mean I, I got to sort of like what I don't like? That's how we take some of these verses, you know. Commands to you and me. Kind of grieve, but find the glimmer. So here's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Every circumstance. I struggle, right? Does that mean, okay, my... Again, my, I'll be personal. My dad dies. I thank God. I, I guess I can thank God he's in heaven. I miss him. Or this one, Colossians 2, 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Well, it means the more sort of rooted in Jesus I am, the more thankfulness I have. So then I really am struggling. Like, man, man I want to be a good Christian. I got to get thankful. Thankful for my dysfunctional family. Thankful that I don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving. Thanks God, I know you're with me anyway. Well, what, 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 how do I do that? You know, Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Give me thanks. Whatever I do. So in the, in the midst of verses like these, I want to bring the word of God to you today to think a bit deeper about how it is we're actually thankful. What it means. To maybe poke you a little bit because I, I believe oftentimes we take many of these verses entirely out of context like I just did. I just snipped them out and threw them on the screen. I'm not helping you be thankful. I'm telling you be thankful always in spite of the fact that you're not so I want to encourage you, I, I hope more honestly, to actually give thanks in all circumstances. How? What does that mean? To have your thanksgiving be rooting, rooted in your faith, like Colossians 2 says, be linked to the name of the Lord Jesus. And how does that happen? Let me tell you something you might not know. Because it's about the word thanksgiving. Do you know thanksgiving translates a Greek word? Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it before. Eucharisto. Eucharist. You've heard of what Eucharist is? That's why, I know, if you're looking today, this is why I have a, this is the tithes, our front for today. Thanksgiving, and you see Communion. Because the Eucharist, right? That's how the early church, the early church fathers, the very first people after Jesus, that's what they took this amazing thing that we do and they called it Thanksgiving. So I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving. Do you know what Thanksgiving actually is? And if we walk like the church fathers, if we understand what God is doing, if we get this message from this word that hits your heart, it's about Thanksgiving. 
but the thanksgiving of Jesus' body and blood for you. You want to know how you can give thanks always. How to think of death and circumstances and even what we're praying for when we say thanks. When we pray over our meals, let's give thanks together, we say. And we say, Lord, thank you for the food. I want to reorient you. Maybe that's not exactly what you're praying for. Let's look at it. Let's think about it. Eucharist, the thanksgiving, the receiving the body and blood of Jesus. Daily bread, not our sandwich. But in the reality, always rock solid and steady of God for us. Forgiveness, full and free. Oh, Jesus, daily manna. Not talking about him making sure you had breakfast. He's talking about every day, Jesus, for you. You can believe it. It's true. That's the prayer right there. That's the one that I'm, I'm so excited that you might see even today. When, when Jesus gives us, you know, he gave us a prayer to pray. You know the prayer in Matthew 6 that's sort of like, give us, uh, you remember it, right? The Lord's Prayer. Uh, let me put a little piece of it. Here's a little piece of it. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Give us this day our daily bread. We take as, Lord, give me enough to eat. And forgive us our sins. We take as something totally different. Lord, forgive me my sins. Oh my goodness, like those are kind of linked. Like, like, you know there are people all over the world that don't get their daily bread? If you're talking about sandwiches, but you do realize that Jesus is using metaphor. He's, he said, give us this day our daily bread, actually is connected to the reality of our sins being forgiven. Provide for me this day, God, because I'm a terrible sinner. And every day, God shows up for you. Forgiving sins. The awareness of Christ for us, he's actually not talking about breakfast. Only in the sense that the man appointed to the daily reality of God for us, the bridge of vision full and free. And you say, well, I'm not sure that helps me in light of my struggling with death and dysfunction. Oh, yeah, it does. It's the only thing that does. So I want to count you to come on a walk with me first. A little walk through the message of the Bible. The actual message that we live on. But then all of these things. And Thanksgiving is like it. It just gets warped and spread and used for everything. But, but really there's a deepness, a depth, a wonder to what it really means. And you've got to get the message. So if you have a Bible and you want to flip around a little, we'll flip through some, some verses. I'll, I'll, I'll put them on the screen too. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Go there first for me. Because first we need to talk about the frame. The frame. If you don't understand what the message is, you don't get what the gift, what thanksgiving actually is. It's not thanksgiving for the pilgrims. Not for us. So, so you won't be blown away thankful if you don't realize what you're holding when you take communion. <laughs> okay. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, says this. The Lord, that's when you see it all capitals like that, it means Yahweh, our God. He saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Say, oh, those bad people. This is talking in Noah's day. This is talking about Noah and the flood. When God saw mankind was so bad that he said, all they do is do evil. No, they're, they're raising their kids. They're, they're, yeah, I know, but they're so twisted. And so he brought the flood, right? And, and he saved Noah and his family. And at the end of that, he told Noah, I'm never, he gave the rainbow. It's beautiful. I'm never going to kill people like that again, he said. That's why I love the rainbow. I hope you do. I love driving. There's a bridge over here in Northwest. It's a beautiful rainbow. I drive over and say, man, what a great promise of God that he's not killing us terrible sinners, including the sinners who put the rainbow up. We're all sinners. And this amazing promise of God. You know how amazing it is because Eve, don't, I, I didn't escape that somehow when God decided to save Noah as Noah's lying on the beach I don't want to get, this is our young people here. Go read the story yourself. He's not sin-free. And mankind was still evil, but God had promised not to kill them all. That's the Bible, right? This, this is the truth about people, about me and stuff. But not me. I'm not this bad. I'm not evil continually. I do a few bad things. Yeah, that's the problem, right? Every intention of man's heart. And he doesn't mean man. He means people. Men and women. Wives, this is not to use against your husband. He means us. This room. If you don't think so, walk with me through Isaiah. Flip over to Isaiah 59. We'll spend a little bit of time in this one. That the, the God and his judgment. And if you need convincing, God's not speaking to the evil pagans, but to his own people in Isaiah to the people that he's called his own, that he's called out, that know the law, that have these amazing things. In Isaiah chapter 59, come over to 59 with me. I was good, I marked it in my Bible. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. I've got saving power, God says. Praise God. Uh, Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But, oh, there's a but. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. We've got a problem. Your sins. Now again, he's talking to his people, right? But but, but this is like, this is the problem that's being illustrated. Sin separates. Iniquities make you far away, even for his own people. It's not that God is distant. It's that we are. And it just gets worse. So that's just sort of a summary statement. Yeah, I know. Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. It's like this image, right? It's meant to be an image of you just dripping in wrongness. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. Everybody's after their own angle, you know. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief. They give birth to iniquity. So I'm talking about me. Yeah, it is. If you exempt yourself, you're really not seeing the frame. There's a problem. The problem is you. Even secular music artists, I was listening to a Taylor Swift song the other day. She's singing, the problem is me. I'm like, dude, 
Sorry, I mean to call her a dude. You're getting it. The problem is you. The problem is you. That's what Isaiah says. It's what God says to Isaiah. It's like James 3, right? I just love how so many Christian things are done. Let's talk James 3 today. And they open up to James 3 and said, now we're going to learn to control our tongue. You do realize that's the opposite of what James is doing in James. Go check it out sometime. He says, oh, the, the tongue sets on fire the flames of hell. And then he ends with, and these things ought not be. But they are, is the message. When you speak, you don't speak honestly all the time. With the same mouth, you sing a worship song and you tear down somebody next to you. Oh, evil people. That's what James is saying, right? He's saying the hope is never in, let's just, if we could just work on our tongue a little bit, we'll all be good people. No, that's not the message. The message is how horrible you are. Here's who you are. You don't produce good. You produce evil. Read the whole chapter later. I'll just give you excerpts of Isaiah 59. Right? Here's one. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those who in, in full vigor. We're like dead men. We've got nothing. Yeah, people have ideas. Oh, this is what we'll do to improve. We've got the six steps to be a better you. And, and, and there it is. And you're just feeling for the wall. Isn't that great image? He's talking about us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. This is Isaiah, reflecting back to God. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities, transgressing and denying Yahweh and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart, lying words from the heart. I don't do this, you say. Yes, you do, says the Bible. I don't like this, you say. Me neither. What does this have to do with Thanksgiving? Hold on. It's coming. This is Isaiah's commentary on his own people, right? But, but we're not different. This is the message of Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3, the New Testament, right? It's, he, he, he's, he's not, it's not different. It's a Sermon on the Mount, this beautiful high law. In order for me to know that my iniquities are terrible, I've got to know what non-iniquity looks like. And I do know God gave this beautiful law to his people. I said, this is beautiful, do it. I hide under the bridge. I, I'm with Adam and Eve in the garden. And my eyes are open to what good is. And so I go cover myself and hide, hoping God won't notice that, you know, I'll put a good front on. I, I do some of these things. I come to church, I, you know, but, but, but I don't. There's really only one hope, right? There's only one ray. And, and it's in this passage. If you read it all, you, again, God, Yahweh, our God, he was sad about this. So look, look what he says. He saw, God did, that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation. You realize what Isaiah is saying way before Jesus. God's going to do it himself. Right? His righteousness upheld him. I love that. 
Yeah, and so it goes on to say that God put righteousness on as a, as a breastplate. He, he helmet of salvation on his head, garments of vengeance as his clothing, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He says he's, he's actually becoming. There's this flavor of it, this anthropomorphism, where you feel like God, who is not a man, is somehow acting like a man. And then Isaiah 59 ends this way, and a redeemer will come to Zion. This is my covenant with them, God finishes the chapter with. I'm going to make a covenant. My Redeemer is going to come, and I'll make a covenant with them. And, and you, I want to unpack this, because it's, it's about our daily existence. Your heart turns away, but God provides his own righteousness and says his covenant is in a Redeemer who will come. So, so that's the frame, right? You're You're hopeless. <laughs> You're not inside just a little bit okay, and if God would just open your eyes to what the truth is, then you could make a rational choice about what you would do well. No, this is saying like, no, your rational choice is to choose for yourself. All of us are this way. And if I just had a few more resources, I'd be fine, is a lie. No hope in that. The hope that is that God gives us, there's a God, he gives us a relationship with him. Where he provides the justice. Oh, I long for justice. The righteousness, greatness and goodness, and the salvation. This is the gift. It's a gift, right? The Redeemer, his own arm, bringing salvation, totally the Lord. And, and what we see is a gift to mankind, and I'm in mankind. And that's why, that's why the Eucharist, the thanksgiving, is the Redeemer given. we got to know the gift, right? So I, I want to expose you to this idea why the church fathers were so interested in calling communion Eucharist, the gift, thanksgiving. Even Jesus, when he there, I'm putting the passages in the different gospels, but this one's from Luke. It says Jesus, this is that Passover night when he's going to, to the cross, right? He's going to go sacrifice for all of it. He, he'd given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise after the cup after they'd eaten this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood do you see how this matches up with isaiah 59 there's a covenant that i'm making my redeemer is coming and even jesus he takes bread and what's the first thing he does eucharist Thanksgiving. Do you think Jesus takes the bread that he's going to symbolize his death for and says, Lord, I'm so grateful that you're giving me the bread. And what he means is, I'm really hungry. I'm ready to chow. I don't think he thinks that at all, do you? He takes the bread and giving thanks for what's about to happen. Lord, your salvation is upon us. The bread that will save everyone. Let's, let, let's partake together, you guys. That, that's what he does, right? Drink of this, all of you, my blood, the blood of the covenant, the promise that those who are twisted from the start, those who grope for the wall like the blind, who are separated by their transgressions, are forgiven. 
And now in relationship with a God who does not turn away ever. You know how often I need to know that? Every day. Take it, Jesus is saying this. It's his blood. Like he said in John 6, right? We, we, we lo- looked at some of this. Whoever feeds on my flesh, John says, Jesus says in John, and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's always been this. Man, we think, what we think is, oh, that's kind of cool. Jesus is grabbing this common metaphor of we need to eat, and he's kind of relating it to the idea that, 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 that he's really important. Maybe we've flipped it, you guys. Maybe our need to eat all the time is meant by God to point to the reality that we need reminders all the time that Jesus Christ died for us. It's always been about Jesus. I mean, even in the garden, there's the tree of life. Remember the very beginning of the Bible that they ate freely of the tree of life. I'm not talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they weren't supposed to eat at. I'm talking about the other one. The tree of life is there in the Garden of Eden, and it says that they ate of it. Adam and, and Eve, the implication is that they ate of it a lot. Be, because what happened was, is, is, is when they sinned and he's putting them out of the garden, then they didn't have access to eat from the tree of life. Because their sin separated them from God. And then you see in Revelation 2, we won't take time, take a look at yourself. Jesus is talking to the churches, and one of the churches says, hey, you who overcome, you who trust me, I will make you eat of the tree of life again. You'll be chowing down on the tree of life. That's what the redeemed do, they eat of this tree, the fruit of it. Consider Melchizedek. He's a funny guy in the Bible, right? You know him from Hebrews. He's a priest. Jesus is a priest in the line of Melchizedek, which by that means he was this priest that just appeared there in Genesis 14. And Abraham comes. Abraham, who will represent the law and the people of Israel, come and gives a tithe to him because he's above the law. And, and it's so interesting there. But what we skip over is the actual presentation of Melchizedek, this representation of Jesus. You know what he did there? L- let me put it on the board. Maybe. Melchizedek, Genesis 14, 18. King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Well, he's just being hospitable. He brought out some bread and some. No, it's, it's tender with meaning, a foreshadowing of what it's coming the bread and the wine, right? He brings out the body and blood. This has always been this way. Jesus Christ alone. The Eucharist. The thanksgiving that we get. Exodus. We did Exodus recently, right? Exodus, so amazing how it just glows. (coughs) This whole central piece of God rescuing his people. And it takes a, a break in the middle to reset their calendar around this event. What's the event? The passing over the angel of death. The, the, the lamb, the perfect lamb that they took and killed and they ate it while they put the blood on the doorposts. They took it in, right? The lamb is slain and eaten. The blood on the doorpost interposed. The people saved. You see the people in Exodus 24.8 being sprinkled with the blood while the covenant's made. Let me take blood and sprinkle it on you. You know, like the wine. There's the tabernacle, Exodus 25. In the presence of God is this bread. The bread of the presence. We're going to bring bread on in. 
God giving daily bread to his people in the manna. Looking forward to the daily bread we get in Christ. You see God giving drink from a rock, and that rock was Christ. What I'm saying is we're not talking about giving thanks for random blessings or for the food at lunch. It is great to do that. We should be thankful people all over the place. But you know, sometimes you won't have food for lunch. I don't have to. I, I, I don't think what's being set up in this amazing pointing of God to what I'm actually thankful for, the Eucharist, is not like I got to be thankful for my difficult circumstance. I'm thankful despite my difficult circumstance, you see. Underneath it, around it. Uh, let, me, let me keep going a little bit further. Because the idea is that we thank God for his daily bread of Christ. And lunch reminds us of it. I'm saying that the food and drink that we have echo a deeper and fuller reality of our daily bread and cup in Christ, the covenant of a God who is with us every single day. He never leaves. There's no separation. The relationship doesn't end. Why do I know? Daily I get my bread. Daily I'm reminded that Jesus Christ is for me, certainly. When Jesus says, pray like this and give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. These are linked things. They're not random. Our daily bread is a savior who provides forgiveness. God gives it, you know. So I can say I can pray that prayer even when I'm in Africa with a bunch of people who are starving and don't get bread. It's so funny, you know, I was, we used to get up early and go across the way because we were in the city and, and, and in the city you could go and it, boy, just the smell would come out and you'd go over to the bakery and you'd, you would buy for, you know, it was, it was 10 cents or something, buy a loaf of bread and you'd take it back and the four of us, my parents and, and Danny and I were there and we'd break it and eat together and you always put a little butter on it or something. It was great. Amazing fresh baked bread in Africa. Can't beat it. You know who didn't get any of that? The people who I went out to the bush to see. No bakery out there. <laughs> No electricity, nothing. I said, well, I'm praying this prayer because God gave me my daily bread. <laughs> Maybe if you pray hard enough, he'll give you yours. What a horror. But if what's being meant is you realize God is for you every single moment. I believe Jesus Christ came for you like he came for me. I believe he says to you, this is my body, it's for you. And what he means is not me isolated in a little room on the side, but us, amazingly mankind, who, have, who think evil continually and yet have hope because God came. Now you're talking. I'm saying that when Jesus came, he was born in Bethlehem, which literally in Hebrew means House of, come on, say it. You know, don't you? Bread. The house of bread. That's where my Savior came. Jesus, when he wanted to show care for people, he made wine. You know the miracle. He, 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 he multiplied loaves. But he's talking about himself, right? He's not saying, well, if you follow me, I'll make sure that I multiply loaves all the time and you have plenty to eat with your body and fill your stomach. No, he's saying this is a representation of the amazing care and love that I have for you in ways you can't even understand. 
His insistence on associating himself with bread and wine, his body with bread and his blood with wine was so strong that people left him, right? I mean, that's my thing, I don't care. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Sounds like the other stuff's not true. (laughs) Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there's Jesus. He's established communion, the Eucharist. He's having gone to the cross. He's, he's, he's risen from the dead. So come with me to the end. He does this. He establishes for us to get it, to understand, to take in the reality of what we're really thankful for, which is Jesus Christ for us. And then he goes and does it. And then he, he rises from the dead. And then he's walking down the road with these two guys. Remember that scene in Luke 24? Yeah. Probably do. The the baby does. They said, okay, so they're they're walking down the road, these two disciples, and this guy appears to them, and it's Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus appears to them and starts talking to them. And he's telling them about how how, how all the Old Testament points to him and all these things about how he had to die and all these amazing truths about who Jesus, and the guys don't know who's talking to him, right? It's a really hilarious little setup that happens in Luke 24. Look what happens. They didn't know him until this. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Literally says gave thanks, blessed. That's how it's being translated there. And he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. You say, well, that's kind of weird, but whatever. That's just a little detail, doesn't it? No, if you keep reading, again, I, I won't put it up, but you keep reading, and, and just five verses later, it says, and they told the other disciples, finally, what had happened on the road, and, and, and this is actually key, it repeats it, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, that's kind of weird. How was he known to him in the breaking of the bread? I think it's because Jesus didn't just say, Lord, thank you for this bread so that it nourishes our body. Oh, I'm so excited. I think he's saying, Lord, you have provided a savior, this daily bread through forgiveness of sins. And he breaks it. And the guys are going, wait a minute. This is, this is Jesus. And it was. This is the gift. It's the assurance every single day of your life. It's every breath that you have, not from your works, not from your sinlessness, not from your efforts, not from your valuation of how you're doing, none of that. Not from your merit, not, not you just thankful for the provision of food or riches or health, like any other God anywhere. Lord, I want your stuff. Thank you for giving me your stuff. Thank you for being an eternal like slot machine in the sky for me. No. This is a different God. He gave himself for you and provided in front of you by faith is this word that your daily bread is provided, that the cup is the cup of Christ's blood for you, that your relationship is forever fantastic like the father running to the prodigal. That you will never be forsaken or forgotten or rejected or lost because you've been found. 
What's the gift? It's the statement of the Son of God that He has for you. What's my thanksgiving? That it's true. You will never be lost from His hand, the Bible says. Daily, daily, this is the repenting we do daily that it's not us. We receive again the gift, assuring our own hearts that it's true. You know, this is the real end. This is the real end of Matthew. So what's the end of Matthew? Well, I know the end of Matthew. It's a great commission. No, 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 you're, you're forgetting the last line. What last line? This one. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is with you always. So I, I forget it, I forget it. Have over your bread, give thanks for that. Bring it up again, because as you eat, as you drink, you're going, wait a minute, just like bread and wine, just like bread and grape juice, whatever it is you're drinking, Fanta, I don't care that you're drinking again. You know what? Jesus is for me today. Like I get to eat. Woohoo! It's fabulous, it's great, and this is, this is what it is. He's with you always, he told us. Like in Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. But, 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 but I had this really bad thing happen. Doesn't that mean you're mad at me? I will never leave you or forsake you. But, but I really sinned, I really messed it up. Man, I did, should, I, I, there I go again. I will never leave you or forsake you. You see what the amazing, amazing, so thankful answer to Isaiah 59, your sin has separated you from God. I will never leave you. He's forgiven all my sin forever. I give them eternal life, Jesus says in John chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's my Savior. Do you know what's happening in heaven? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I think as we, if we sup, I don't know if we'll need it or not. I don't know what we're eating. I don't really care. I just know it's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about how he has taken care of us all the way through. This reality, this thanksgiving, this, this what the Bible's actually going deeper than you realize is talking about the, the Eucharist. And my trusting that God's for me always is my faith. And it's by the Spirit. The Bible says the flesh is no help at all. Okay, so let me say this to you this morning. This is what we thank God for in every circumstance. We don't thank him for the circumstance. You can. God's in charge. There's a sovereignty piece that people go into. God's in charge of all the circumstances. That's okay. But you may not like it, and it's okay to say so. I thank God because I have assurance that he's for me. He's for you. And the evidence is in the thanksgiving. The Eucharist, the reminder, the receiving, the promise. We give thanks before meals, not for the piece of bread. That could be ripped from your hand. You may not have enough to eat, but we are being reminded of what is really true. He is the bread of life. 
His blood has cleansed us forever. We give thanks because we see our sin and the sin of other people. I see it. It colors everything. People die because of their sin. We die because of our sin. We suffer because of the consequence of sin. And we get to have by faith thanksgiving. Thanksgiving because of sin? No, thanksgiving because sin is forgiven in Christ. Receiving the assurance from God in Christ that he's for us forever. And so all these verses about thanksgiving that we started with. Verses verses like this. Think about it then in this way, would you? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. What's that? Really trusting the Eucharist. Jesus Christ for me, the thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. What's the thanksgiving I'm abounding in? I'm not abounding in thanksgiving for every single thing that happens as the guy runs into me in his car, cuts me off on the foot. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to find something good in this. You're training me to be a better person. No, you are finding thanksgiving. God, you're for me, even though I just flipped the guy off. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Oh, I need to be realized again. My sin did not separate me from you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for your body and blood. That's what you're doing, right? Or, or, or did I just put one? How about the, the other ones are the same, right? First Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah, thanks for the body and blood, no matter how tough it is. It says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, the name of the Lord Jesus, my assurance that he's covered me and he's got me and I'm not being taken from his hand, even though my circumstances don't look like it. (laughs) You can do that. How can you do that? Come take communion. Come be part of the Eucharist. Come realize that your thanksgiving is grounded in Christ for you and the promise. So you need to hear the promise. You need to take it in again and, and, and realize that it fights against your circumstances. Not that it's your circumstances reflect God's care for you. No one's got to rejoice over cancer, over loss, over grief, over pain. I don't know what your thanksgiving may be like this year. I don't know what you're thanking God for circumstantially. It may not even be the right thing, but you can thank God for anything if you really do in your heart. But I know this, if you would receive with me the thanksgiving, the Eucharist, the assurance that God in Christ is for us, that the Redeemer redeems us, if you would be reminded again you would let your heart sing because he has us, his body for us, his blood shed for us. Thank you, God. That is really good news every single day, and I need it again, especially this day. Would you rejoice with me? Oh, Thanksgiving is here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Thanksgiving. Thank you for the church fathers who referred to what you did for us as thanksgiving. Thank you for your body and blood for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you talked about it from the very beginning, our need and your amazing grace. We don't deserve it, Lord. Thank you for all the good efforts people make. But Lord, we know we all fall short and we're saved by your grace as gift and the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we are all so thankful for that.
Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.